0: Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over a 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star. Welcome to the Mangrove community. Strengthening the community one branch at a time. For more information about the community or how to volunteer, please visit mangrovecommunity.org.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Mangrove Community Presents Reasonable Doubt. Um, It's kind of bittersweet today. I'm excited about the guests that we have and and the conversations uh, that we're looking to have during this time. But um, it saddens me the reason we're coming together and what we're talking about uh, once again, you know. Uh, but I do want to start off, so we'll start off the conversation. I want to give us some inspiration. Um, we have Judge Jones, Judge Desarn Jones, and then we also have um, Judge Jordan here with us today. And we want to take some time out to speak with them about bail reform. Um, they, they played a huge part in that movement in bringing the bail reform to Houston. Um, those of you who may not be aware, I'm gonna open it up for them to, to give us some insight on what bail looked like before the bail reform and what it looks like now. And um, hopefully we can share some data to show the benefits of this bail reform. Judge Jones, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Um,
2: but uh, you know, I think uh, Judge Jordan should probably go first. Um, I always like to be accurate. Um, gotcha. I did not help start bail reform. Judge Jordan actually was instrumental in starting bail reform. He actually was a part of a lawsuit and everything like that. I'm just uh, operating off of what he said before me. So I let him gotcha. take it away.
1: Judge Jordan, how you doing today? Mm-hmm. Judge Jordan, can you hear me? It appears to be muted. Yeah, yeah,
0: I had that mute on. Uh, you know... I want to start off by speaking to the audience. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook about how nothing has changed. And uh, Judge Jones and I, along with several other judges, are prime examples of change uh, in what can happen. There was a lawsuit filed here in Harris County related to bail. Uh, There was uh, studies done. And it showed that people who were left in jail simply because they could not pay uh, were getting longer sentences. They were being convicted at much higher rates. Matter of fact, for those people who had money and were able to post their bond and go home, uh, approximately 50% of their cases ended in either a dismissal or without a conviction. And so we went to federal court, and the judge found that that was a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. Um, One of the things that was crucial in that case was I testified against all the other judges, who were my coworkers. And and so you know when we talk about how do we make change, how do we get an equal system, it's by exercising your vote and believing in your vote. If our votes didn't matter, the Koch brothers wouldn't be spending two point five billion dollars to get the vote out. That's just not how things work. And so please be aware that your vote counts. Uh, hopefully, you will hear something here today that will inspire you and and motivate you to get out you can google both myself uh Judge Daryl Jordan Judge deshaun Jones and read about the work that we're doing uh in the community but essentially right now for all misdemeanor courts that's where I'm a judge and misdemeanor courts if you get arrested uh at least 85% of the people are released uh with no no money whereas before you had to have 5000 10,000, whatever they set your bond at, you had to have some money to get out. And that was an unfair system. And so we don't want to have uh, a system where if you want uh, a better treatment, you have money. Now, that's okay if you want a car, education, a house, some type of material goods. But when it comes to your freedom, something that can never be replaced, uh, money should not play a factor in that. And so that's what we've done. We fought to eliminate bail and the misdemeanor court system For those of you who don't know, misdemeanors are offenses that are punishable by up to a year in jail. And uh, now Judge uh, Deshaun Jones is fighting the bail system uh, on the felony side. And, of course, you know that comes with 99 years life or death. Uh, So, uh, Judge Jones, kind of tell them about what's going on in in your world.
2: So in the uh, felony realm, like you noted, uh, we, we weren't subject to that lawsuit. So there's presently a lawsuit against, um, different parties, different stakeholders to make changes within the felony courts as well. Uh, similar to what's happening what what happened in, um, County court, oftentimes there's people who are, but for money, um, have to remain in jail sometimes anywhere up to three years. Um, I literally had a case, uh, my first year, this is, this would be my second year on the bench, but my first year I had a case that came to trial where a gentleman sat in jail for, uh, for three years, and on the day of trial, he was actually released. Um, the day of trial, this case was dismissed, um, at which point I had to ask, you know, why wasn't this done sooner as far as if they knew they had no evidence against him? Um, and that's one of the things that is not highlighted, I think, in the media um, with people that want to use fear-mongering using these outlier cases. The cases they usually don't talk about oftentimes are men and women who are held against their will for months, years, they lose their jobs their cars their family members, you know, people can die while you're in there. Um, And and that's just not how our system is set up. Um, One of the biggest things that I'm an advocate for is uh, just appropriately following the Constitution. Um, The the United States Constitution specifically states that you're not supposed to have excessive bills and fines. Um, It also states uh, in the Texas Constitution under the Bill of Rights that you should only hold someone at no bond, um, well, you may hold someone at no bond for a capital offense Oftentimes, uh, well, most times, if you look at it right now, most of the people being held in Harris County jail are not in there for capital offenses. And if they can't afford the bond, that simply amounts to to no bond. And I'm not uh, not a party of that. I don't I don't believe in playing that game of semantics.
1: Well, um, thank you so much for the insight. And I want to ask a few questions on on all the information that was given just now. Um, and and one thing I want to really highlight throughout everything we just heard is the fact that Judge Jordan, he stood up and he testified against his own coworkers. So like right now, we have a, a protest going on um, with with the situations uh, surrounding George Floyd. And yes, that's a part of it, getting out, letting your voices be heard. And hopefully we can do that peacefully. But the second part of it is actually getting into the system, the legal system, and doing the work and pushing for change. And sometimes, a lot of times, it takes someone from within to identify a problem or issue and to say something about it. And I I commend you for that, Judge Jones, and we thank you for that because a real change came about with a person fighting from the inside as well as the people who fought from the outside. Um, That's brilliant. Um, And then for Judge Jones, I had a question for you as far as pushing bail reform on the felony side. What can we as a people do to assist in that? Um, so just so I'm clear, the the
2: way the, the law is written right now is um, I think it's, it's written well. I, mm-hmm. I believe that a lot of people just don't follow and implement the law correctly. Mm-hmm. So bail reform and, you know, you may want to chime in, Judge Jordan, but for me, at the family level, I just think oftentimes it's not followed appropriately. When you go through and you look at the Texas Constitution, it -hmm. says before you deny someone of their right or liberty, under each paragraph it says um, you must have a hearing first. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes those hearings are not taking place. Um, They'll have like an informal discussion at the bench, but before they take someone's liberty, they're not showing evidence, there's not a full hearing, they're not bringing witnesses and testimony. And that's what the law says. It's not something I made up, it's something I came to. Mm -hmm. And uh, similarly, it would would seem sometimes like the way that uh the judges were acting in county court where they're found to be unconstitutional meaning they're they're not following the constitution the law is there um and 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 i think it's appropriate but you have to have people that are willing to actually use the law as it's written and not how they want to
1: right so as a defendant coming into court that feel like they didn't get proper due process when it comes to bail um what, what steps can they take to combat that or fight that within the legal system.
2: You want to chime in, Judge Jordan.
0: It's all going to be up to, to the, your lawyer mm-hmm. uh, to go out there and, and, and make the case for you. And it's important because I hear this even from people in our community. They'll say, well, I'm okay with people getting a bail for if, if it's not a violent offense. But if it's a violent offense, I want them to stay in custody. There's no law that says it. Mm -hmm. There's no law that says that. And so as judges, the way we have flaws in our system and an unequal system just based off the data is people following their emotions instead of following the law. The law, the Constitution says the law is to be applied equally. And if it is applied equally, then how do we explain that 50 percent of the people right now in Harris County Jail are black, Uh, 25 percent are Latino and and the rest are white or other. And so judges have to follow the law. So whatever the offense is, if the law does not allow us to hold them without a bond, we have to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And so what what people can do is come down and spend some time at the courthouse, read as many blogs as you can. Mm -hmm. And like I'm up for election in November. And if I'm down there acting a fool, vote
1: me out. Right. Vote me out. It's just that simple. And your stats, where are your stats listed? Because each judge has statistics listed and available to the public on, um, you know, their conviction rate, uh, bail and things like that. Where is that information listed and where can they go to research the judges in their area to make sure that they have someone who has their best interest at heart and is following the law? That's the that's the first thing that they're following the law and um, they're treating people fairly within their court. And there's actual, as actually, there's a state database. And what I'll do is
0: I'll get it and make sure Dave uh, has it and he can share it with the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, our job is weird. Our job, I mean, it's hard to say uh, if we're for the people or not for the people, because sometimes you, somebody has to go to jail. That's just right. the nature of, of what we do. But what's most important to me is, is it done in a fair manner? Right. Is it done in a fair manner where if you if, if you Bobby from CUNY Homes or Bobby from River Oaks, do you both get the same treatment when you step in that courtroom?
1: And that's fair to say. And I, and I appreciate you for looking at it like that. Um, and our judges should look at it that way. There should be no personal feelings involved. You should all follow the letter of the law. But, um, you know, statistics show the, the stats don't speak. To all judges following the law, because um, if you look at the crime rates and things like that, the numbers are a little different Then we talk about the reporting of the crime rates. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. But one thing I do want to talk about, I hear a lot um, in the media, um, social media, when you're talking about bail reform. And I've also heard it from the mouths of HPD officers themselves that they say that bail reform is. Some is partly to blame for the increase in the crime rate in the city of Houston. Um, what stats do you have to show that that is not the case with the bail reform? Because I have HPD that say I arrest someone and the very next day they're out, or three days later they're out. Um, what, what do the numbers show?
0: Well, the, the the data does not support that. Just the way bail works, it does not support it. Mm-hmm. So the people who benefited from bail reform are the poor people the black and the brown people who are stuck in jail so when somebody tells you that uh that bail reform is causing the crime to go up what they are saying is because we treat blacks and browns cuz those who people who are stuck in jail because we're treating them like their white counterparts with money then crime is on the rise mm-hmm. and 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 that accounts if they have that mindset that's probably why the jail numbers are so skewed towards black and brown, because instead of just seeing a human being, you see a criminal, and that accounts for a whole bunch of other stuff that we could just go a hundred different roads. I mean, but that's it. The only difference is if if two people commit the exact same crime, exact same criminal profile. And one of them has $500, he goes home, and the only reason the other person has to stay is because they don't have $500. It's not because they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. There is no danger into it. Once you assess a dollar amount, you're saying you are good and you are free to go. And when HPD officers complain about that, ask them, well, what about the HPD officers who are charged with murder who are on bond? What about the HPD officers who are charged with sexual assault of a child who are on bond? And so if they want everybody in jail, then they need to be out there saying everyone who is charged with XYZ crime is in jail. But if you just say you want the black and brown people in jail,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And essentially uh, what that amounts to, what Joe Jordan is talking about, so if the bond has said it, you know, often the complaint is, um, this person was given a bond. And again, you have to start with the Constitution because the judges have to follow the law. So, you know, I didn't write the Constitution as written before everybody on this, you know, Zoom chat was alive. Right. And so that's the law we have to follow. And again, the only time it says that you may hold someone in a felony court is for a capital offense. And most of the people in jail are not there for capital offenses. So let's say you do have someone that has like a possession control substance and they want to make the bond $50,000. Essentially what they're saying is if you have $5,000, you can get out. If you don't have $5,000, you can't get out. Now, what that says is that you as a poor person or someone that's economically disadvantaged, um, you're going to be disparately impacted and have to remain in jail while someone else who has the $5,000, they walk out. In that basic assessment of money, there is no inkling, no no indication, no indicator of safety whatsoever. Right.
1: Yes, yeah, it just sounds like a complete money game to me. And again, the targets and victims happen to be the Lower income community, the black and brown community, um, and thank you for that insight. Um, one thing, and I want to kind of turn this over to Dave. He he does a great job of explaining this. And, and Judge Jones, you touched on this as well. What what were the um, results before the bail reform, where you had to have a you had to basically pay to get out? Um, and Judge Jones, you talked about people losing their jobs. What, what are the long-term effects of this? Um, Dave, could you touch on that a little bit for us? Um, just so
3: I'm clear on the question, so you're asking, like, what are the effects of people not being able to post bond or bail out, right? Correct. Correct. <clears throat> well, my organization, for one, probably wouldn't even exist <laughs> if um, – People were given like due process that the laws were applied equally, um, but you're talking. If you look at it like as a whole, we're talking about community health. Like if someone is being, if they've been arrested but they haven't been convicted of a crime and they're sitting in jail before they even convicted, and just like the story he talked about, there's a bunch of stories like that. Like if you think about like today, Khalif Browder is one of those stories where he sat on Rikers Island for like 200 and something days in in solitary confinement. He was never charged and it was over a backpack. So when he got out of jail, he was so messed up mentally he ended up committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And so the long term effects of someone even being incarcerated, the mental impact of incarceration on a human being is detrimental to our society as a whole. Like if you think about Harris County, that's one of like the biggest mental health places in the state of Texas. And that also speaks to the system failing the community. And all this talk about our community not being safe and us getting criminals off the street and things like that, that's just not the case because most of these cases are low-level crimes. But even with these low-level crimes, if somebody has a bond that they can't afford, we're not, we're not upholding the law, we're not upholding the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it goes back to, are we making society safer? And, and by making society safer, are we upholding the law And also, are we giving people the tools and the resources they need to make sure they're not repeat offenders, to make sure that they do have an opportunity that when they do make a mistake, that they can move on with their life and not be held over their head? Like right now, I think in Harris County alone, I think there, I think it's between like 20 and 30% of the population, um, not the population, 20 to 30,000 have uh, priors on the record. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and if you think about like the homeless population, a lot of the homeless population is in and out of jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with mental health. A lot of it has to do with no resources. Like you can't rent an apartment if you have a felony. Right. So how do you expect a person to get ahead in life? You can't go work at McDonald's with a felony. I mean, how do you expect a person to move ahead? And so as society, I wish the challenge the, the challenge is getting people to understand the bigger picture of what incarceration does to society. Mm-hmm. There's no statistics out there that show mm-hmm. you that incarceration has made us a better society, but the stats will show you that we have an increased homeless population across the United States. The stats will show you that we got more people incarcerated than we did enslaved. enslaved. like the stats show you that people can't get loans even right now, like even with the stimulus uh, the whole bailout. If you have a felony on your record and you have a business, you don't qualify for those loans. Oh wow. And people don't know about it and they don't people not talking about that. Like all these congressmen, these senators that are signing these bills, they're and they're talking about being for reform. I'm like, are you really for reform? Are you really for reform because this is really these people's only way of moving ahead is creating their own business. <laughs> and now that we have shut down their businesses, they can't even get a business loan to to make sure their business stay afloat. So the, it's a very, it's, it's a it's a big picture thing that, that continues to like make us, keep us unsafe because if a person can't get a job, they can't get a house, they're going to break into yours. Mm-hmm. They're going to sell drugs. They're going to do whatever they have to do to survive.
0: And, and if I can just add two seconds, uh, there's actually validated research that shows the longer you keep a low level offender in jail, the more likely they are to reoffend when they get out. So we don't even have to guess about it. That's validated research. And you think about it, uh, a news story came out that says the average person uh, does not have $400 in the bank. So you get pulled over, you sit in j- you get pulled over on a Friday, you sit in jail all weekend, your car has been impounded, that's $200 a day, you got to be at work, you got to pay your bills, and then if you're stuck in jail for 30 days and you come out, you lost your car, you lost your house, your girl don't, uh, done moved on you starting from ground zero. So what you going to do, you going to have to hustle or go hit some type of lick to even get back to ground zero, not even get ahead. And so literally bail reform has made us safer. It has made us safer based on research. That's what the data says.
1: Right. And, and you can look at cities like Chicago, they, they've had bail reform, um, and in the reform, the type of forms they've had in other cities that you see the crime rates are decreasing because of that reform. So, yeah, we definitely appreciate that. Um, I do want to open it up for a second for um, any of our, our other participants here. Any of our other guests, if they have any questions for Judge Jones or um, Judge Jordan um, pertaining to bail reform or anything with the, the legal process in, with, in the courtroom.
0: I had one question that uh, Judge Jones mentioned on how someone could be incarcerated without bail two days, two years, three years, and then get the charges dismissed on the, you know, the trial date. Where, where does the speedy trial come into play after that? Because I know everyone is entitled to that constitutional right of a speedy trial. So how, how does that come into play?
2: Um, so if the defendant is, um, pursues a speedy trial, then we usually set a date. Um, but that's, that's something that's usually done by motion. Um, let me see if that makes sense. So normally the, this case is going to have a normal setting and oftentimes for a speedy trial, someone will usually file a motion for their speedy trial. Oftentimes that's not done. And so what do you say? Ignorance of the law is not bliss. Um, and so you have to have an attorney, hopefully your attorney that's savvy enough to know what to file, what motions to push in order to make that happen. Um, So there's a few idiosyncrasies there that may not be apparent from just the term speedy trial existing. There's there's some action that has to take place as well.
1: Perfect, thank you. And
3: and also, if I could say one more thing about that too, like when you're looking at it from a big picture standpoint, I think people still forget that we have for-profit prisons. Like, and every time a person goes to jail, that's lining somebody's pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. the average is 175 bucks a day, or whatever it costs. The like, Harris County spends half a million dollars a week on incarceration. Like, that's absurd, and those are tax dollars that that those are going into somebody's pockets. Like, if you guys know anybody that's incarcerated, a pack of uh, ramen noodles is a dollar for ramen noodles, for somebody to put that on their commissary, phone calls for the family. Like you think about how much the families have to spend on them just calling home for five minutes. That can cost you 10 bucks for them to talk to you for five minutes. And so people that are coming from these marginalized communities that are going into incarceration, it's even setting those families back even further. If my mom is on Section 8, my mom is on food stamps, and now I go to jail. I don't. My dad's not in the picture. My dad's probably in jail or on drugs. That's setting the entire family back even further from a financial standpoint. So the whole family suffers when we continue to lock people up, especially over petty crimes. Like, and I think from a big picture standpoint, like we're, ch- our goal is like to get people to understand that this is just not the system is not working. It doesn't work. It does not make us safe. And it's a lie for people to say that locking folks up makes us a safer society. That's just not true. There's no data that says that.
0: And, and here's something that's, I, I, I always need to stress this. These are people who are innocent, who are innocent. And, and, and I don't care if they're on video doing it. When you step into the court of law, you are innocent unless you are proven guilty. Right. That's the way our legal system works. Nobody has to like it. Nobody has to accept it. But as a judge who sits on that bench... Who presides over the only form of legalized slavery? Go read the 13th Amendment and read about how you can still be uh, uh, involuntary servitude. That's what I preside over. We have to follow those rules. And so, if the presumption of innocence is there, which it is, you have to be treated like you're innocent. You can't punish people with bond. And, you know, I'm just gonna make up some, if, if somebody come kill my cat. I can't say, well, you need to give him a $100,000 bond. I'm on him punished. That's not what that's for. And rich people have been going home every day for the past whatever hundred years just because they have money. So please understand, when you fight against bail reform or when you talk about the amount of bail, the only thing you're saying is keep black and brown people in jail and let the rich people uh, continue to do what they're doing and get, get them right back out.
1: All right. Yeah. Because... Our lives are definitely not worth, um, there's no dollar value on our life for sure. Um, and like you say, we're free until, or innocent until proven guilty. Um, do we have any other questions for just